Well, good morning, everybody. Um, glad you are here today and you braved the gravel and the broken up parking lot and, and our stand-up comedy this morning. Matt, nice job. Uh, we are just having a good time. Uh, before I get into it, I just want to pause and pray one more time. I know Lord just prayed, uh, but I feel like, um, anyway, I just was feeling uh, the presence of God here in the front row this morning and just feel like God said, I need to pray before we start, and so we're going to do that, all right? So let's just pray one more time. God, this is your space. It's not mine. It's not the worship teams. It's not anybody sitting here. This is your space to do your will, to speak to us in your way, to use your words, to use your message. God, I pray that as I speak, that it's not my words that you set me aside and that you would just rule and reign in this place for you to do whatever you want to do. Um, God, whatever people need to hear today, uh, it may have nothing to do with what I even say today. That's okay, God, because you're ultimately in control. And so, God, may you speak, may you move, may you rule in this place, and may we hear from you. And whatever you say to us, may we not leave here apathetic or not doing anything about it. May we take action on it immediately and lean into whatever it is that you call us to do. We look forward to who you are and what you call us to be and what you call us to do. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you for being here. So I want to start by asking you a quick question. Does anybody here have someone in your life who likes to repeat themselves sometimes? Anybody, anybody have that? Don't look at them this morning. Don't look at them. I said don't look at them this morning. So as soon as I said that, some of you are like, ah, it's you. Right? You repeat yourself all the time. In fact, have you thought about this? Maybe, maybe have you caught yourself repeating yourself in some of these things? Have you ever said this many times, please close the door behind you? Has anybody ever said that? How many of you have said this? How many of you said, turn the lights off when you leave the room? How many of you have said, put your dishes in the sink or in the dishwasher? Anybody repeated themselves after saying that? Right? How many of you have said, don't forget to put your sunscreen on? Anybody ever repeated that to somebody? How many of you have said, don't forget your hat, don't forget your ball, don't forget your cleats, don't forget your backpack, don't forget your books? Anybody ever had to repeat those a few times? How many of you have ever said this, look both ways before crossing the street? Have you said that one time or have you said that a hundred times? Right? You've repeated that. How many of you have reminded maybe somebody that's going out the door, that's getting ready to drive, maybe a teenager, and said, now make sure you keep your phone down. Do not look at your phone. Don't text while you're driving. Anybody ever reminded you of that and, and said, hey, look people in the eyes. Have you repeated yourself? Now, the question that I have for you is this. Why do we repeat ourselves? And some of you parents in the room, you're like, because they didn't hear me the first time. <laughs> or they didn't listen to me the first time, right? You're like, that's why I repeated myself, because they didn't listen the first time, or the first five times, right? So that's why I repeated myself. Okay, I get you. But may, maybe is there another reason why we repeat ourselves? I think that there is. I think that sometimes we repeat things because they're really important, Sometimes we repeat, why do we say, look both ways before crossing the street? Make sure you have a hand before you cross the road. Why do we say that over and over and over again? Why? Because it's really, really important. 
I think sometimes we repeat things because they are so important. Well, today, in the story that we're going to look at in God's Word, in the Bible, Jesus repeats himself three times in a very short conversation. Three times he repeats himself. And we're going to look at that, but before we do, we have to understand that we're in the midst of a series called Backstory. So what we're doing is we're taking stories, we're taking Bible stories out of the Bible, out of God's Word, and we are looking at the backstory to the story. We're looking at, we're asking ourselves, what's the story that led to the story? What's the backstory to this story? And so today's story takes place in John chapter 21. If you like to follow along on your device or in your own Bible, go ahead and turn there. We're going to be in John chapter 21. And let me just set up the context. So this story takes place in the morning, on the beach, on the shore of a lake. Some of you are like, ooh, I wish I was on the beach on the shore of a lake right now, right? Okay, that's cool. I hear you. But that's where it takes place. It's in the morning, on the beach, on the shore of a lake. And, and Jesus has already died, been buried, resurrected three days later, and now has appeared miraculously to the disciples and to hundreds of people several times he's done this. And so now Jesus is, after all of that has happened, and Jesus now is going to miraculously appear to the disciples one more time, and he's going to be on the edge of the lake. And he calls to them, because they're out in the boats, they're fishing, and he calls to them and he says, hey, come have breakfast with me, all right? And so the disciples, they go over to the beach and they they, they're excited to be with Jesus, and they're having breakfast, and Jesus actually cooks them breakfast. How many of you have ever had Jesus cook you breakfast before? I haven't either, right? <clears throat> and, and at our house, it wouldn't be hard, because you just have to open the box and pour the thing into the bowl, right? That's, that's generally our breakfast. We do better breakfast than that at times, but that's, that's a more rare occasion. And so Jesus cooks them breakfast, and you know what their breakfast was? Their breakfast was bread and fish, now, most of us probably don't eat bread and fish for our breakfast, but in, the, in Galilee, in this time of history, that was a normal breakfast. And so Jesus makes them breakfast, and they eat the breakfast. But then at the end of the breakfast, Jesus is going to have a really important conversation with Peter, one of his disciples. And I want to take a look at that. So we're going to be in John chapter 21. I'm going to start with verse 15. This is the conversation that Jesus has with Peter right after breakfast. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time, Jesus asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Now, it's kind of an interesting conversation, isn't it? Kind of weird, kind of repetitive, 
right? You're kind of like, okay, Jesus, I think you got the point. You asked Peter three times, do you love me? And then you said essentially the same thing after he said, you know I love you. He said, feed my sheep, take care of my sheep, feed the lambs. All it. It's like, what is going on here? Why did Jesus... These are the two questions I have today. If you're asking them, this is awesome. If you're not asking them, I'm sorry, you asked the wrong question today, but it's okay. No, I'm just kidding. You're good. But these are the two questions that I've been asking, and the two questions are this. Why did Jesus have this conversation with Peter at breakfast? And then the second question is, why did Jesus ask Peter three different times the exact same question? Do you love me? Why did he have the conversation? Why did he ask him three times? Well, as you would imagine, the reason I ask those questions is because we need to look at the backstory to this story, right? And so why did they have this conversation and why did Jesus ask these three times? Well, let's go to the backstory to understand why Jesus felt like he needed to have this conversation with Peter. So let me give you the context. So going back in time a little bit, Jesus, it's before the crucifixion. Jesus has not been arrested, well, he's been arrested at this point, but he has not been crucified. So he's been arrested, he's been taken by the authorities, by the Pharisees, and he's been dragged into a building in the, and next to a courtyard. And when that happened, all the disciples fled, they scattered in fear. And this is why, we don't talk about this very often, but here's why. They believed that Jesus was the Messiah. They believed that. They believed he was the Savior. But they thought that he was a military Savior or a political Savior. They thought he was going to take over the area and expel the Romans. They thought he was going to defeat the Pharisees and, and take care of this religious problem that they had. That's the kind of Messiah, that's the kind of Jesus that they thought they were following. And so when Jesus was arrested and he allowed them to take them, in fact, he even told Peter, no, put your sword away, don't fight, it's okay. The disciples got scared. They're like, wait a minute, this is, this is not playing out like we wanted it to. And so they, they ran because they didn't want to be arrested and killed as well because they, everything had changed for them. And so they all scatter, and so Jesus is arrested, they all scatter, but Peter is at least courageous enough to hang around in the courtyard where he can see Jesus being on trial for his life. He wants to at least stay close to Jesus, and this is what happens when he's out in that courtyard. Matthew chapter 26, I'm going to start with verse 69. Meanwhile, while Jesus is on trial, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, a servant girl came over and said to him, You were one of those with Jesus the Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Later, out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. I don't even know the man, he said. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, You must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. Peter swore, A curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. 
Before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter went away weeping bitterly. So it might be obvious or it might not be obvious. And if it's not, that's okay. But do you notice how many times did Peter deny Jesus? How many times? Three times. I think it's pretty obvious why now, the answer to the second question that I asked, why did Jesus ask Peter three times, do you love me? Why did he ask him three times? Well, the reason is because Peter denied Jesus three times. Now, Jesus knew how ashamed Peter was. In fact, Remember that Jesus is fully human, but he's also fully God. So Jesus knew while Peter was denying his Savior. In that moment, Jesus was on trial for his life, but he knew. In fact, I didn't read this one. In a different gospel, it says that Jesus actually looks at Peter. They could see each other in that moment. Peter denied Jesus three times, but Jesus, he asked Peter three times, do you love me? Now, why did he do that? Did he do that to rub it in? (laughs) Peter, remember, you denied me three times, so I'm going to ask you three times to rub it in. Is that why Jesus did it? Is Jesus trying to be cruel? Is he trying to make a point? Is he trying to knock Peter down a couple pegs? No. What Jesus is doing is he's trying to bring clarity to their relationship. He's trying to bring clarity to where their faith, where his faith stands. In fact, let me just pause for a minute, take a little sidestep here. How many of you have ever had a conversation with somebody and they were trying to communicate something very complex or maybe they had to confront you about something, but they weren't comfortable doing that, and so maybe it was even a coworker that had to adjust you or give you, you know, some, some feedback on something, and this person is like beating around the bush, right? It's taking like 10, 15 minutes to get to what they actually want to say, and you're sitting there kind of squinting at them like, I don't know what we're talking about right now. Anybody ever had this conversation, been in that situation where you're not sure where the conversation's going? You're not sure what they're trying to say? Or have any of you been in this situation? My guess is most of us have. Have you ever been in a situation where the relationship felt weird? (laughs) I don't know how else to scream it, to explain it. And you're like, "Uh, I feel like I want to go to the next level in this relationship, but the other person you're not sure if they want to, and so there's this awkwardness. Anybody ever been there? Do I say something? Do I not say something? I don't want to make the first move, but if I make the first move, then they might not make the move back. And anybody ever had that problem? Or how many of you deal with like awkwardness in your workplace where you work with a coworker and you have to work collaboratively on this project, but you don't know who's in the lead. You don't know who's responsible for what. And so you're all just kind of trying to figure it out. And it's awkward. You're like, ah, there's no clarity in the conversation. There's no clarity in our relationship here. Anybody ever been in those situations? Well, what Jesus is trying to do, in fact, let let me ask you this before I get to that. 
When you're in a conversation like that, when you're in a relationship like that where everything is unclear and it's all awkward or the coworker, you don't know who's supposed to do what, how many of you would say, that's life-giving? You would raise your hand on that. You'd say, that's life-giving. I love those situations. Anybody? Any takers? Nobody. How many of you would admit that's life-sucking is what it is? It's life-sucking. Okay, Laura admits it. She says, it's life-sucking. All right? Yeah, it's life-sucking, isn't it? It's horrible. This is what Jesus is doing. Jesus wants to make sure it's clear, Peter, this is where we stand. Peter, this is where we stand. Jesus wanted to get rid of uncertainty because uncertainty leads to chaos. It's funny because I have very little or no hand in choosing the worship songs on a, day, on a weekly basis, and we just got done singing about chaos. Interesting. It hit me right as I was singing there in the front row. I was like, wow, we're going to be talking about chaos. When things are not clear, it leads to chaos. But you know what the opposite of that is? Clarity leads to peace and to truth. I don't know about you, but I'd prefer to live in peace and in truth rather than chaos. Some of you are like, is that even possible <laughs> to live not in chaos? But that's what Jesus was doing. Jesus was saying to Peter, Peter, I know you denied me three times, but we're good. Do you love me, Peter? Yes. You know I love you. Do you love me? You know I love you. Do you love me? And Peter's like, come on, Jesus. You know I love you. And it's almost, Jesus doesn't say this out loud, but this is in my mind maybe what Jesus was thinking about in this moment. I don't know because the Bible doesn't speak to this. But I wonder if Jesus is going, yeah, Peter, I already knew that you loved me, but you didn't. You had forgotten. You were so ashamed. And so I wanted to make it clear. And so I want to pause before we go to the next part of our backstory and ask this very important question. Is your relationship with God clear? Is your relationship with Jesus clear? Or if you're here, would you say you're kind of unsure about it? It's a little awkward. You're uncertain about where you stand in your faith with God. And by the way, just so you know, it's okay if you're here and you're unsure about your faith. It's okay if you're here and you're doubting or you're, you're kind of unclear as to where you stand with God. In fact, let me just talk about this for a minute. If you're unsure, if you're unclear about where you stand with God, it probably, it could be a hundred different reasons, but let me give you two of the big ones. My guess is almost all of us fall into one of these two words, and they're two words that start with the letter C. This is not the first time I've talked about them, but they bear repeating. See what I did there? Because they're important. The, the two words are, if you're unsure about your faith in Jesus, it could be because of conviction, or it could because, be because of condemnation. Conviction or condemnation? Let me just talk about those for a minute. Conviction and condemnation couldn't be more different. They're completely different. 
We sometimes interchange them. They are not the same word. To be convicted and to be condemned, we think of this in terms of like sitting in a court of law, right? We think of that in terms of, in human terms. Well, I'm using theological terms now. Think of this not in a court of law, but think of this in the realm of the spiritual realm, God's realm, okay? Conviction and condemnation are two very different things in theology. Conviction, just to be clear, starts with God. It's a good thing. If you're unsure here this morning, if you're kind of wrestling with your faith, it might be because God is convicting you and trying to communicate with you and tell you something's not right. I need you to adjust. I need something to switch. I need something to change. God is convicting you. This has happened to me many, many times where God is saying, Brent, something's not right. We need, I need you to get this right. I need you to come back to me. You've drifted. For some of us in here, you're unsure about your relationship with God because you're feeling convicted. God is making you uneasy. He's making you uncertain because he wants you to realize there's something that needs to happen. But then some of us in here, that's not the thing that you're dealing with. Some of us in here, some of you in here, are dealing with the other C word, condemnation. The truth is that you believe in God. You've already accepted Christ. You've already believed in the forgiveness that Jesus was offering to Peter that day. Peter, I know you messed up, but I'm offering you forgiveness. I love you, and do you love me? Yes, I love you. I know, Peter, but you don't know it. Why? Because, Peter, you're living under condemnation. I've already forgiven you, but you should be living in freedom. Do you love me, Peter? Yes, you know I love you. Yeah, Peter, but you didn't know. Some of you are living and stuck in the past. In other words, you can't get past your past. Some of you realize you're, you're thinking about all the past mistakes that you've made in relationships with other people. You say, Brent, you don't understand. My life hasn't turned out at all the way that I know I should have or the way that I wanted it to or even the way that God wanted it to. Okay, so you've made some mistakes. Can I just say that you're in a room with literally the rest of humanity who have also made mistakes? The difference is some people realize they lean into conviction and they realize that God's forgiveness and salvation and love covers those mistakes. But some of you are still living as though you are still condemned. Can I tell you where condemnation comes from? It does not start with God. It starts with Satan. Some of you need to hear this. You are loved and you are forgiven. You are not your mistakes. If you're walking with Christ, if you're walking with God, you are not a sum of your mistakes. You are forgiven. You are loved. You just have to believe it. And that's what God is saying to Peter. That's what Jesus is saying to Peter in that moment. Peter, I know 
that I love you and I know that you believe in me and that you follow me and that you want to do this, but you're still living in that shame of that moment where you denied me three times and we need to get past that. And so I'm going to ask you three times, Peter, do you love me? Not to help Jesus out, not because Jesus needed to hear the answer. Jesus didn't need the answer. You know who needed the answer in the conversation? It was Peter. Some of you need to hear the answer. Do you love Jesus? Are you forgiven? Are you loved? The answer to that, if you've given your life to Christ, is yes. So stop living in condemnation. Say to the devil, say to Satan, no, you have no place in my life. The Bible's very clear. When we resist the devil, he has to do what? He has to flee. He has to run. I don't know about you, but that's a good news. Do not let Satan condemn your life because that's not from God. That's from Satan. And God wants to remind you, hey, I'm here. I've always been here. My arms are ready. Let's go. Do you love me? Now, Jesus made this really clear to Peter But what's interesting is Peter's denial was actually deeper than just denial. This is something that I've actually never talked about. I've never preached on. I've I've preached on this conversation probably three or four different times. I don't remember how many times, but it's been a few. But I've never talked about this. What's interesting is Peter's denial of Christ was deeper than just him saying, I don't know the man. It was deeper than just a lie. In order to kind of help us understand that it was a deeper level betrayal than that, I want to go back a little bit further into the backstory, just a little further. So for this context, this is before Jesus is arrested. Jesus and the disciples, they just finished the Last Supper, and now Jesus is walking with his disciples to the garden where Jesus is going to be praying when he is arrested. So this is just a few hours before Jesus is arrested. So the disciples don't realize everything that's going to happen, even though, by the way, Jesus has said it's going to happen. They don't realize. And so Jesus and the disciples are walking to the garden, and Jesus says something a little bit shocking to them. Listen to what he says. Matthew 26, verse 31. On the way to the garden where they're going to pray, Jesus told them, tonight all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Now listen to what Peter does. Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter. This very night before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. No, Peter insisted, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same. Did you catch that? 
Not only did Peter deny Jesus three times, but Peter had promised a few hours before. It's not like there was enough time for him to forget this. Peter had just promised face to face with Jesus, Jesus, I will never deny you. In fact, if I have to die with you, I'm there. What Peter was saying to Jesus was, my faith is stronger and deeper than the rest of these people. So they may scatter, but I'm not going to. I'm not going anywhere. I will die with you, Jesus. My faith is deeper than that. My faith is stronger than that. I'm with you, Jesus. And then just a few hours later, Peter would deny him three times. Three times. And what's interesting is, in that conversation where Jesus has, that he has with Peter at breakfast, Jesus seems to bring this out. Again, not to shame him, but to let Peter know something important. In fact, do you remember how Jesus phrased that first question? He didn't ask the three questions exactly the same way. The first question he asked a little bit different. Did you notice it? Let's refresh our our memory. Go back to John chapter 21, verse 15. Listen to what Jesus says. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon son of John, do you love me more than thee? What's more than these? That seems unclear. Well, what's interesting is, for whatever reason, it is unclear to you and I in the Scripture. Now, I don't think it was unclear to Peter, but it was un- it's unclear to us. You know why? Because in the original Greek, we don't know what these are. We don't know. Do you love me more than these? More than these what? We don't know. Now, we have a pretty good guess. We have three guesses. Okay, theologians, they study this stuff. They looked into this stuff. We have three guesses. Jesus maybe was asking Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these guys love me? The disciples around you. Do you is your level of commitment, is your faith stronger? Is it deeper than the rest of these guys who are also following me? That's, that's possible option number one. Jesus may have been asking Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these? He may have been referring to the fish or the food or his fishing career. You understand that his normal job was a fisherman. And so maybe Jesus is asking Peter, Peter, do you love me enough to actually give up your career, to give up everything you know, what you're comfortable with, to follow me? Do you love me more than this? this normal routine that you have. Or, third option, Jesus maybe was asking Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these guys love me? Do you love them? Do you love me more than you love these guys? In other words, do I rank higher than them or do they rank higher than me? Where do I rank with you? It's possible that Jesus meant all three of those. We don't know. Here's the truth. I can't, I can't tell you definitively what it means because we don't know. We just don't have enough context. But here's something that is clear. Peter had promised to Jesus, my faith is deeper level than all these people around us. He had promised that to Jesus. Jesus, I am more faithful. I am stronger in my faith. I am more bold. I am more courageous than all these others. And yet Peter failed miserably at that, didn't he? And it seems like Jesus is calling it out and saying, Peter, do you remember? 
You promised that you would never leave me. You promised that you would never deny me. But you failed. But it's okay. Do you love me? Do you love me? What Jesus is doing is he is helping Peter to understand, I want to erase all of that shame. I want to erase all of those mistakes, Peter. Peter, I get it. I know. I understand. But do you love me? Are we good now? Can we move on? In fact, let me ask you this question. What promises have you made to God? Seriously. Probably in the privacy of your own thoughts. Maybe it was during a day or a week that was not going so well. I've made promises in those moments. When I was like, God, please, just help me, help me get through this. This is awful. If you do, I just, I'll do whatever you need me to do. I, I, I've made promises to God in the privacy of my prayers and my thoughts. What promises have you made to God? Have you kept them? Some of you would say here, you're like, yeah, I have. I've kept all of them, or I've kept some of them, or I've kept a few of them. But then some of us in here, we realize maybe we haven't kept our promises to God. And let me tell you, whether you've kept your promises or whether you haven't kept your promises, can I tell you one constant that is true? Just like for Peter, God loves you and forgives you regardless. But what he wants you to do is he wants you to move on. Because just believing in God is not quite enough. We have to take one more step. We have to take action on what we believe. In fact, that's how I want to kind of finish today. So you guys know that this week starts Love Week. And one of the greatest things that a church exists for is not to show up on a Sunday only. It's good that we're here. I love you guys. You're great. Good job. And you look good, by the way. You're doing, you're doing great. But Sunday morning is just a piece of what we do. What we really need to be about is being truly what Matt has already mentioned, hinted at, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. That's just a fun phrase that we church people use. Let's be the hands and feet of Jesus. Well, what in the world does that mean? It means that we have to not just believe in God, we have to allow our belief, our faith in God to change how we talk and how we live and what we do. Otherwise, you know what I would say to you? If there's no evidence that you believe in God, you may not believe in God. I'm sorry, That's, that might be harsh to you. Deal with it. Seriously, we have plenty of Christians who are willing to like show up at church and look good. How are you doing? Good. God is good. God is good. Good. Do you say the same thing on Monday? Are you going to the job that sucks? I'm just saying. What do you do when your neighbor, who's an atheist, challenges you about your faith? Do you back down and you'd be like, yeah, there's a lot of pathways to God. You're right. Or do you say, no, I believe in Jesus. I believe he's the way. I'm not saying you have to fight him. 
let me just say this. Love Week is here. And just so that we're clear, a lot of people, I think, around the community, they might have the wrong idea about Love Week. They, they might say, oh, the church is finally going to be the church this week, right? Like, they're going to go out and blitz the community by doing all this awesome stuff. Well, we are going to do that. And yes, we have something virtually every day. Pastor Nick has done a phenomenal job getting those things ready. But what Love Week is, is really just expanding and hitting everything hard that we already do throughout the year. We serve at WNC, Wanakee Neighborhood Connection, all throughout the year. We already do stuff there. We already take collections for them. We already work there. We do these things. We have people that volunteer there. We already do all that. We are generous to people all throughout the year. It happens all the time where people come in need and we have to help them out with various things. It happens all the time. We're already doing projects and doing work and, and trying to help solve problems in our community. We're doing this all the time. All we're saying is for this week, let's come together and really just hammer on it. Let's make a focus of it. And so I want to encourage you. Maybe you've signed up already. Good job. It's awesome. Seriously, Matt, you've already signed up. You already said that. Good job. All right? That's great. Maybe you're on the fence, and maybe the, the reason you're on the fence is maybe you're too busy. Let me just say you're never too busy to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Maybe you have to create space. Just saying. Or maybe you're not signing up because it's awkward and you don't know who you'll be at placed with. And you don't know if you're going to have to swing a hammer or if you're going to have to hand out a gift card to somebody. Just sign up. Seriously. Trust God on that. There's a whole bunch of sign-up sheets right back there with colorful pens, by the way. Colorful pens. You can also do it online. And let me leave you with this. So how many of you have ever been to somebody's house and you walk downstairs into the basement and you see uh, a, a, an exercise equipment or a treadmill and it looks something like this? Some of you are like, that's my house. <laughs> cool. <laughs> now let me just ask you this question. Let's, let's leave that up there for a minute, okay? Let me ask you this question. Do you believe in exercise? You don't have to answer me, just do you. Do you believe that exercise is good for you? Awesome. Do you understand that believing that exercise is good for you does you absolutely no good unless you actually exercise? Belief is good, absolutely. But if your treadmill looks like this, it's not helping you to get healthier. It's just helping you to be more cluttered. <laughs> it's the same with God. Do you believe in God? That's good. But my question to you is very simply this. Do you allow your belief to move into action? Do you live, truly live, and talk and speak as if Jesus is everything to you? Because just believing in God, eh, it's a good start. But it's like a treadmill that sits down and is piled up with boxes. That treadmill is not making you healthy if you leave it stacked up. 
It does you no good just to believe in God. You've got to allow God to get in and mess some things up in your heart, in your soul, in your mind, in your decisions, in everything. Are you willing to allow God to change who you are, how you do life? Is your relationship with God clear? If it's not, again, we always have people to pray with you. We can lead you toward that. We can help. But let's make sure our relationship with God and our faith is clear. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for being clear with us. The fact that you have made it clear, you are the way to God, and we simply follow you. God, there, there may be a lot of people in here that believe in you. My guess is there's a lot of people in here that believe in you. But maybe there are people here that they believe in you, but they don't fully believe or realize or have allowed you to take control of their life. Maybe they're here and they're feeling your conviction. They know you've been calling them to do something or to try something different for a long time and they, they haven't listened and today they need to. Or maybe there are a bunch of people here who are living under condemnation. You've already forgiven them. You, you said, I love you. Do you love me? And they can't say that they love you because they don't feel like they're worthy of your love. They're condemned. They're listening more to Satan and the devil and this culture who is lying to them instead of your voice. God, may your voice break through them today. Destroy those barriers where they feel like they've made huge mistakes and they are not worthy of your love. Remind them that none of us are worthy of your love, but you've offered your love freely anyway, and we simply have to accept it. Jesus, may you call us to action this week, not just because it's love week for our church, but may you call us to action to live and be the hands and feet of you every single day. Help us to be open and aware of what you're calling us to on a daily basis. And remind us that you will never leave us. You never forsake us. You're always there just like you were with Peter. Even though Peter denied you and promised that he would never do it, he failed you miserably. And yet you were there reminding Peter, Peter, I love you. Do you love me? Okay, we're good. Let's move on. God, remind us of that today. Help us to take action. Help us to live like it. Remind us that you never leave us. You never forsake us. We pray this. We ask this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.